And so this morning, I'm not going to take too much time. can't promise the Holy Spirit won't, but I'm not. And I want to talk to you about joy, but I want to go at it from a little bit of a different angle than you've probably heard it before. I want to talk to you about the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is a really interesting book because Nehemiah, there's certain books. How many of you understand there's certain things that happened in the old covenant that were pointing towards a new covenant that was so unique that they were doing it then, but they shouldn't have been. I don't have time to teach about this in too much depth. But I will say this, or my whole sermon's going to go out the window. Your Bible is written through the filter of covenants, okay? There's different, there's five covenants that your Bible's written in. The main conversation I have with people that don't know the Lord is always, well, if God's good, why did he do this? And they point to some Old Testament scripture in another covenant where God did something like, well, if he's good, why did he do that? Right? But see, people created, man created these different covenants. And when they created these covenants, they asked the Lord to come into covenant with them. And when they did, they told him, you have to come in And one of the things that they had is you had to be the judge and the disciplinary one. He didn't want to do it, but they wanted him in that covenant. Are you with me? This is too deep. Here's the thing, though. If you're reading an old covenant scripture and applying it to yourself, it's really confusing because, see, you are what's called in a new covenant. Here's the cool thing. You with me? The new covenant, God said, we're not going to mess this one up. So I'm going to do it between... Myself and Jesus. But guess what? When you get saved, you get to come into it. And so there's this beautiful picture of covenants in the Bible that when we begin to understand how they work, it's freeing to people because they think, well, if God's so good, why would he do all that? But then you understand it was never his heart. He just was following the covenant they asked him to be in. I know, not the normal Easter sermon, but not much is normal around here, so just hang with me. So when we begin to understand this new covenant, we begin to, things begin to just click. And it's like, I get that. And so, but sometimes in the Old Testament, there's these scriptures like Nehemiah. You know what Nehemiah's name means? Comforter. Who's your comforter? It's not a trick question. Who's your comforter? Holy Spirit. Something interesting about the book of Nehemiah, we focus on building the wall. Everybody's heard the scripture about building the wall, building the wall with Nehemiah. How many of you know that years and years, decades went by and they wanted to rebuild this city, but when Nehemiah came on the scene, it, it's, it's something like 52 days, things began to happen. There's a picture that when the Holy Spirit comes in, things that you've been trying to do begin to happen. And so there's this prototype of Nehemiah that his name actually means comforter. And so there's this scripture where they've rebuilt the wall, they've rebuilt the temple in Nehemiah. And if you have your Bibles, you can just go ahead and flip over to Nehemiah chapter 8, and we're going to read a few scriptures from there. But I want to give some context for this because walls, walls were extremely important to a city. This is their protection. And so... They've rebuilt this wall, they've rebuilt this temple, and in the process, 
Here are the Israelites, and this is really interesting because in the process of all this, they've rediscovered the scriptures. Imagine that decades have gone by and there have been no scriptures. You have your Bible, right? You get to carry it everywhere. They had lost the scriptures for decades. So they've, they've, they've rediscovered these scriptures in the process of building this city, and here's what happens. All of a sudden, people that have lived their whole life, they've done their best, they've tried, you know, they're raising their families, they're, you know, they're doing their best. All of a sudden, they begin to read the scriptures. And it's not actually such an encouraging time. And I'll tell you why. Are you Nehemiah? Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9 says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor and Ezra the priest and scribe, and Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This is a holy day to the Lord, your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. I want to give you some, what this, what's going on here. Dave, here you've got the Israelites. They have gone decades without any scriptures to help guide them. All of a sudden, they have the scriptures back in their hands, right? And they bring all the people together, and they start reading down the law. And what happens? They all feel like a bunch of failures. Because they're like, they're, they're, like, they're weeping. This is not happy weeping. This is like mourning, like we have screwed up. And they're reading these scriptures, and people are weeping and mourning, and then this interesting statement is made. It says, listen, this day is holy. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the word of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet. Can I get an amen? And <laughs> send portions. Some of you got it. Um, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. Okay, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way and they, to drink and send portions and rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them. I'm going to try to just bring a couple nuggets out of this, and then we'll wrap it up. But the people are caught up in this big woe is me fest. That's why a lot of people don't want to go to church. I'm such a failure. Right? People don't feel like they can hit the bar. All of them are feeling this way in the scripture right now, and they're just crying. So what happens? The word of God comes to him and says, all right, guys, today's a holy day. Stop weeping. Rejoice. Nothing's changed with your situation yet. But rejoice where you're at. Have joy. If you could say the theme of this passage, if there was any theme, it would be that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Most of us feel like, 
most of us are thinking typically is, if I could only be strong, then I'll be filled with joy. Which is the complete opposite of what your Bible tells you to do. It says, if you'll only be filled with joy, you'll be strong. We say, well, if I could just get everything right, then I'll be filled with joy. Truth be known, there's two realities that really always stick out to me in the kingdom, and one of them is that your ability to minister will never be bigger than your ability to love. That's why we have so many hurt people in churches, is because we have so many pastors and other people that don't love, they just talk. And the problem is, is that your ability to minister to people is it's defined by your ability to love them. I youth pastored for years. If they didn't think you loved them, some of my youth right here on my team, they didn't care what you had to say. So your ability to minister is always going to be to the degree of your ability to love, but I also believe that your strength will never go further than your joy. Our strength will never exceed our joy. Happy Easter. <laughs> I'll throw that in every now and then just to make people happy. <laughs> I am preaching on joy. Like, you don't have to be so serious. If you laugh, you're right on target. So, just... <laughs> so, so, so the, the reality is, is that the church at large ah, is still kind of stuck feeling bad for themselves. When God's plan the whole time was that you would experience joy so that you could actually get where you want to be. But the enemy's plan is to come in and if he can just make you feel really bad, score. And, and we've even put it, oh, I better be careful what I say. We've even put it on a platform where we try to preach to people that way just so they'll get saved. And we try to scare them and beat them up. So we can say, well, I've got this many people saved in my church. That's great. But how many of them know who they are in Christ? And if you beat them up to get them to the altar, you got to beat them the rest of their lives to keep them there. This is how we, we have ministries that are ran this way. And it's bothering to me because I see a whole different model in the word of God that he says, listen, he says, guess what? This is actually the good news. Some people, that's mind-boggling. They're like, I've never heard someone preach it good. It's good news. It's happy. Church should be fun. And so, so what's so interesting is that people get uncomfortable when it gets happy. You ever notice that? Someone could be crying and they're like, oh, the Lord's just touching their heart. Someone starts laughing and they're like, well, 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 that's a little uncalled for. I would rather have a church full of people laughing than crying. <laughs> and so people, people get offended when joy hits. They really get uncomfortable. Typically, that's a sign that you need some joy. You know, nothing bothers you more when you're upset and someone laughs. Everyone, I mean, I have siblings. Anyone know what I'm talking about? It's like, my, my brother was the king of that. He's ticking you off and he's laughing at the same time. I'm like, 
Your day's coming, bub. Your day's coming. <laughs> I often believe that it's so hard for people to swallow because sometimes they just have such a lack of joy in their life that when someone else starts laughing, it begins to reveal the lack in them. And it begins to make us uncomfortable. I love it when the Holy Spirit shows up in a place and people just begin to laugh because I think it matches his character. He's good. He's really good. I understand there's seasons that are challenging. There's times that we mourn, but the scripture says that it's only going to last overnight and in the morning you get to rejoice. You're not supposed to adopt it for a lifestyle. It's just overnight. And the great part is overnight, you're sleeping. So you actually get to rest in morning. Oh, I, I got so much stuff coming in my head that I got I to gotta let you people go to lunch at some point. So, so here we go. Jesus said, Jesus said in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's what I want you to get. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You ready for this? Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. I think we can actually read this wrong because Jesus, look at it this way. Here's Jesus. He knows his assignment. He's man, you know, he's fully God, but he's, he knows what he's getting ready to go through. Here's the cross. He's looking at it. And here's joy. You know what got him from here to there? Was looking at it, the joy on the other side. We tend to focus on this, what we have to get through. And Jesus said, do what I did. Look at the joy before you. You see, Jesus, here's the cool thing. Jesus knew when he was going to die on the cross <laughs> that he was getting ready to release a level of joy that has never happened before. An ability to tap into joy that's never happened before. Only he walked in it at this point. And so how did he get where he needed to go? He focused his eyes on the joy before him. What is our job? Well, we need to set our eyes on the joy, but sometimes we have to help people around us focus their eyes on the joy. Helping focus their eyes on everything they're doing wrong does not help them. They're pretty aware how much they're doing things wrong. Joy, the joy of the Lord was his, the joy was his motivation. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The Bible says that joy will make your heart happy. Joy is connected to your health. So let's, let's, let's flip back to Nehemiah for a minute. So he says to them, he says, stop mourning. They're feeling depressed. We've done everything wrong. Can you imagine how, like, never having heard the scriptures and they start reading the law and you're like, we are really doing a bad job. <laughs> like, they've never heard them and they're like, and there's this like, 
we're dead. It's like, this is really bad. Now, here's the cool part. The scripture says in Nehemiah, this is the cool prototype. The scripture says this. Today's a holy day. Stop crying. Stop mourning. Stop weeping. It's a holy day. Be filled with joy. Now, here's why I started with the covenant thing, because this is important. They're in an old covenant. They had a holy day. You're in a new covenant. You get to have a holy life. And so he said, when you're in this place of holiness, rejoice. You live in a place of holiness. You can always rejoice. He said, this is just a day for them. (laughs) But good news. You get to be holy as I am holy. So it says in 1 Peter, rejoice. That was his actual advice to them was rejoice. Well, I haven't gotten to where I need to get. Rejoice. Well, I don't feel like it. Go get some food. (laughs) Sorry. All the foodies are like, amen, works for me. (laughs) No, No, you know what's cool, though, is that they actually, if you look at that passage, he actually told them, you need to make time. You actually need to schedule time to rejoice. He said, you need to get food together. You need to get some drinks together. And if your neighbors don't have any, you need to help them out and give them some. Because there's no reason that anyone can't be a part of this party. And he said, I actually want you to, in our words, put it on your calendar to make time to rejoice. So much of the kingdom is actually just us walking in the authority that God's given us and being deliberate about things. He's given you all authority and power. Mm. We'll read verse 12 again. And the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. I really believe that some people just need to make room in their schedule to rejoice. Just make room to rejoice and have joy. (laughs) It's probably my kid, too. (laughs) And then he says, if this isn't already good enough, I'm going to say it again. All this joy, all this fun, all this celebrating, all the food, all the laughter, everything was done before they even measured up. Woo! People around you need, people that they're not in relationship with the Lord. You know what's going to draw them? Show them the joy of the Lord. They're not attracted to the grump of the Lord. They're attracted to the joy of the Lord. They're not where they need to be yet, but who cares? (laughs) I'm having fun with this one. (laughs) 
I, I just, I, you know, we, we buy this lie that one day, one day I will get joy once, once I have my life in order. One day I'm going to get married to that perfect spouse. And all the married people laugh. You can hear it. <laughs> I, y'all laugh, not me. And once I have that perfect job, the great job, once I get the better car, once I graduate school, all this, I'll have joy. No. Get the joy. And then it will give you strength to strengthen your marriage, to give you that job you're looking for, to live in that place you want to live. If you keep trying to get everything in order first, you never get to walk in the joy. We had a funny thing happen. We were on vacation, and Tiffany and I recently went um, to Mexico, and um, we're having this conversation really late at night, and we went with our friends Jonathan and Karen Welton, and it was late. Like, I'm talking like 1 a.m. in the morning, you know, and Karen has fallen asleep on Jonathan on his lap, and we're talking, and Jonathan mentions something about fun and Tiffany. And Karen sits up and goes, Tiffany's so much fun. She's so great. And she lays back down and she goes back to sleep. I don't know where that came from, but she was just like, Tiffany's so much fun. What are you talking about? And she goes back to sleep. And I thought, that's pretty cool when your subconscious thinks somebody's fun. And you know what? That's pe- the Bible says that the Lord is the desire of the nations. Good news. He already put the desire in everyone. We just got to show them what he actually looks like so that desire can take over from there. We're not showing him an accurate represent, people an accurate representation of who Jesus is. All my job is, is to show you what he actually looks like. He's really fun. He always ruined funerals. <laughs> He's great at showing up and messing things up. He's the guy that came in and just said things that people were like, that's great. Whoa, whoa. He was fun. And he said, good news, you get to be like me. You get to do what I do. Have at it. It's joy. And I think that often what can happen is, is we, we can really miss the target here. It says in Romans 14, 17, I'm not reading the whole passage, but it says that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and righteousness, peace, and joy. Does anyone else find it interesting that two out of three of those are things that you feel? But we've preached to people it's not about feelings. Except for two out of three of them you feel. It's not going to go well if you're like, well, I have peace. I just haven't felt it yet. You're supposed to experience peace, joy, righteousness, and two out of the three of those are things that are actually part of emotions and feelings. But we've preached to people, your feelings and emotions are bad. It's a lie. It's no different than a, a, a TV. Your TV's not bad. What you put on it is your choice. But your TV's not bad. To tell people that you're Feelings and your emotions, cast them down. If he gave them to you, why would he want you to cast them down?
Have you ever thought about every human being as only one experience away of being completely transformed? Just one. Every person that breathes is literally one experience away from being completely transformed. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You can't, you can't live a life that says, taste and see, and he's bitter. He said, taste and see, he's good. He's good, guys. I said he's good. Our job is just to represent him. Just represent him. I'm almost done. Here's the thing about joy. A big part of joy is a decision. A big part of joy is that it's actually you have to choose joy. And here's the cool thing about joy, though. When you begin to choose joy, joy begins to choose you. It begins to chase you down. But you have to choose it first. Joy isn't just the result of something. It's actually the main ingredient. I want to I drill this in because I want us to begin to understand that joy in, our, joy in our walk. I heard Bill Johnson say one time, he said, what tears are to repentance, joy is to salvation. What tears are to repentance is what joy is to salvation. It's called to be a walk of joy. When they began to walk in joy in Nehemiah, they, they weren't out of their circumstances yet. They still were in, <laughs> they still were not doing really great. But they said, here's, the, here's what we gotta do. Let's rejoice first. You ever wondered why we come and we sing praises first? It's because we're rejoicing. Because you're laying a foundation for the rest of what God's going to do this morning. We rejoice. We're filled with joy. Many of us in this room do not need another word from God. We just need the joy to step into the words we already have. We need the joy to step into what God's already given us. I think this is really important, or I wouldn't talk to you about it on Easter. <laughs> that I, I had someone make a joke on my Facebook, but it was true. They said, wait, you're not going to preach on something that's really sad and depressing and makes people feel bad? Because that's, that's sometimes what happens as people, it's almost like we leave feeling heavier than when we came. Something's wrong with that. I said, something's wrong with that. Jesus said, I set my eyes on the joy that's in front of me. You know what's crazy if you really think about that, though? You were a part of the joy that was in front of him. Whoa. You were actually a part of that joy that he looked at and 
He said, I'm looking at this for you. That'll, that'll preach. We live in a wonderful time. If you don't feel that way, hang around some people filled with joy. Hang around here for a while. We'll rub off on you. Should be a happy time to come to church. Amen? I want to believe for God just to release just a real overdose of joy this morning. I felt in my spirit when I came into the service today, I could just feel there's so many people that have so many incredible words that they're carrying. It's like you've been carrying these words. And I feel like the first thing the enemy attacks is your joy. Because if he can rob you of your joy, he can rob you of your ability to see the words fulfilled. He can't take the word of God from you. I said he can't take the word of God from you. But he can place the right circumstances in your life that makes you challenged in the joy department. And if he can rob you of your joy, you can't step into the fullness of what God's given you. So we have to press in for joy. And I can't think of a better day than on the, the Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, that he said it was that joy that got me through this, to say, let's see that released in this room. So let's stand. It was officially probably the shortest sermon I've ever preached. You're welcome. <laughs> no, I... Bless the Lord, it's so good. Thank you, Jesus. Here's what we're going to do first. I want us just to, before we go any farther, I just want us to take a moment just to begin to give thanks. Just to begin to give thanks, um, just, just whatever the Lord puts on your heart. This is a day that we specifically remember that he, was, he raised from the dead. And if it hadn't been for that, we would be in serious trouble. So take, take just 30 seconds to a minute and tell the Father, tell Jesus in your own words, thank you. Thank you. Come on, church. Tell him thank you. Tell him thank you. Just, just speak it out. Just speak it out. We have this many people in the room. Come on. Tell him thank you for your blood. Thank you, Father, for laying down your life for us. Thank you, Lord, for what you released in that moment. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Jesus. So good. Now I want you to make it more personal. I want you to thank him for th whatever it might be in your life. I want you just to begin to highlight the blessings. It may be that spouse, it, whatever it may be. Or just begin to highlight the blessings and give him thanks for another moment for what he's doing in your life, okay? Come on, it's really quiet for 200 people in a room giving thanks to the Lord. Just give him thanks. Father, we thank you for the abundant blessings that we get to experience, we get to walk in, that every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. Every spiritual blessing is yours. We thank you, Father. We thank you for the relationships that you've given us. We thank you, Father, for our families. We thank you, Father, for just the blessings that chase us down. We don't have to chase them. They're, they're looking for you. We thank you, Father. You're so good.